Welcome to our casting of Get a Sign. I'm Chief Master Sergeant Dan Connor, your command senior enlisted leader, Oregon. This podcast is an effort to provide our Oregon National Guard service members, past and present, along with all citizens of the state, a sign from me and the Adjutant General's office before you step into the metaphoric batter's box. I plan to discuss with you pressing issues that are upon our enlisted service, as well as sharing interviews with some of our great citizen soldiers and airmen to gain insight and share best practices. So turn up your listening device and join me for what I hope is an educational and valuable few minutes. Today, I'm privileged to be joined by our new senior enlisted advisor to the Chief of the National Guard Bureau, Chief Master Sergeant Tony Whitehead. Chief, welcome. It's great to have you in the studio with me today over the phone. Hey, thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, the chief and I just closed out a productive Western States tag huddle in Salt Lake City, where we had an opportunity to have a discussion regarding top issues facing our National Guard. Uh, we discussed redefining our brand, for example, from an operational reserve or from a strategic reserve to an operational reserve, which in, in, uh, in effect will change or affect our recruiting and retention along with appropriate benefits. That's just one of the topics. Um, Team Oregon can expect a trip report with, from me soon on some more, with some more details on that. But now um, I have the pleasure of your company, Chief, for just a little while longer. And with that, I just want to get started with uh, introducing you to the state of Oregon and anyone else that's listening in. Um, often, Chief, we ask our soldiers and our airmen to share their story. So today I'm going to ask you to share yours. Uh, you know, how did you get, what, what made you decide to join uh, the military. How did you end up uh, with the Guard? I know you ended up, uh, at one point at least, I knew you were in Florida with the Florida Air National Guard. Um, give us some of, uh, yeah, starting with your your early professional career. Give me some. All right. So I, I joined the Air Force, the active duty Air Force, in uh, December of 1982 as an 18-year-old. I left high school and uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I, I didn't have any plans other than I wanted to get out of Jacksonville, Florida. And I come from, uh, you know, those, those humble beginnings that, that people talk about. There, uh, there were eight kids in the house, uh, a single mom. And so, you know, either you were contributing to the household or you were contributing to the household. So I, I joined the Air Force, and I was in a Navy town. And when I joined, I joined uh, with the security police. And um, had no idea what I was getting into, but once I got into it, um, I really found out it was something that I liked. And my first assignment leaving Florida and joining the Air Force was Ellsworth Air Force Base, South Dakota. So uh, an interesting start uh, for a guy that was born in uh, sun, sand, and beaches. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a great career for about 10 years. And, uh, and then I decided to uh, leave the active component. And I wasn't sure about uh, what I wanted to do after that, but I did know that I was ready to make the transition. And uh, when I joined the Guard, it was by chance. And uh, I, I met someone, and um, he talked about the Guard being there in Jacksonville. I joined up, and I never looked back. And it's been a great experience, and the experience didn't just keep me in Florida. It also took me to places like, uh, you know, here in D.C., but uh, in a different capacity, uh, Michigan Air National Guard Base as a command chief there, uh, the state command chief in Puerto Rico, uh, several assignments, and, uh, and of course, uh, first Air Force Base uh, as the first Air Force command chief, uh, Tyndall Air Force Base. And uh, here in the National, National Capital Region as a senior advisor to the chief of the National Guard Bureau, where I ran into a great man by the name of Dan Connor. Um, well, actually, that was in Florida, but I ran into you again just uh, the other day. 
But it's been a great ride, and an opportunity, I will say, to be a senior listed advisor is an amazing opportunity, very humbling. Uh, but one of the better jobs I had uh, in addition to this was being a first sergeant. So if there are any first sergeants out there, you know, who are you? Because uh, i tell you what, taking care of our people is one of the best things that you can do for the mission. How's yeah. that? Yeah, that's great, Chief. Thanks. Uh, that's. Uh, I also know a little bit about you. I know that, um, obviously, family is very important to you. You have a mm-hmm. big family. Uh, give us your your view regarding work-life balance. So I don't believe uh, there, there's a myth to work-life balance, life balance. I think there is one, um, but it's 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 very individually based. Now you can say that you know you may want to do eight hours or ten hours and then get home, but sometimes the job dictates that you may have to spend about twelve hours there. But on the other side of that, um, when you know, especially um, if you've got uh, a wife or a significant other, children, or even a pet at home, there are times when you do need to make time for self-care. Uh, and our best leaders do that. You know, we can go all in and, and be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But self-care is a part of our leadership ethos. It has to be. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, getting the rest, getting in the PT, or even just getting the downtime in, um, those things are extremely important to you being able to be effective in accomplishing the mission. So my thought process when it comes to work-life balance is know when it's time to, um, to take a knee, for lack of a better term, and, um, and refresh, recharge, spend time with the people that are supporting you, that helps you spend those long hours at the job when you don't have to worry about paying bills or uh, you know, taking the dog out for a walk or are painting the house, things of that nature. There are people that are helping you do that. Spend the quality time with them, uh, letting them know how much you appreciate it, and that will help you get recharged so that you can get back to the job. Yeah, I'll tell you, I think I agree with you. I think nothing's more important. I know our tag here in Oregon, uh, that's a definite focus area for him. He wants to ensure that our work-life balance is truly just that, just well-balanced. So, hey, thanks for your perspective on that. Um, with new leadership often comes a new focus, and I use the term focus because we know that uh, almost everything that comes from General Hokanson's mouth, no kidding, is a priority. So I don't like to use priority necessarily because it's all a priority. But there are new focus areas. Can you tell me what's the chief's new focus area for us? Well, I will tell you um, it's, it's a work in progress, um, and I think you alluded to that yesterday. You know, a lot of things that are on the chief's mind – and, uh, you know, the biggest thing is to making sure that uh, we, we do the best job that we can as a National Guard of taking care of our folks. Now, I know it may sound like a generic answer, but in that answer, it gives a lot of, um, it gives a lot of different perspectives. And one, when we're taking care of our folks, that means training them properly. And, and part of that training, which he talks about when he, uh, when he has spoken, especially during his Senate confirmation, he likes to use the term interoperability, and I think it's important for us to understand that when he's speaking about that, he's talking about making sure that our folks are trained um, properly so that when we go out and we are married up with our active component brethren, we've been trained to the same degree uh, with the same equipment, if not better, so that once we step in, there is no worry about whether or not this guy that's coming in, or guy or gal is coming in from, say, the state of Oregon, you know, to work uh, in my tank company that they know how to do the job. As a matter of fact, they should be, feel very confident that the person that's coming in from um, the Oregon National Guard, we'll say our Army National Guard side, that they've got more years of experience um, out there operating those, uh, you know, the equipment. They've got more years of experience leading our troops, and they've got the training and experience uh, from their civilian side as a force multiplier to help them to be a better asset to the organization. 
So interoperability is a big one. And that's part of getting taking care of our troops. Uh, making sure that we're resourced properly. And it's not just about equipment, it's about making sure that everything that helps us to get the job done, it's important to uh, our chief. And then, of course, um, you know, we're looking at down the road a, a, a Space National Guard, which he's definitely interested in because, you know, we've already got units that are, that are equipped, that are doing the job, so why not use us just like on the other uh, missions that we have out there? You know, we, we're just, we're, we're, we're well equipped for that. And then, of course, um, as we see what's happening with, you know, the, uh, the COVID, the civil unrest, um, the forest fires, and uh, the, the natural disasters, as well as we're still doing the, our Title X missions, he wants to make sure that we are doing everything that we can for the total force warrior. That's, uh, you know, the mind, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Oh, thanks, Chief. I, yeah, I'll agree. I mean, obviously, we've been very busy with domestic operations here in Oregon and throughout the country. Uh, one might say that uh, this could be the year of the National Guard, 2020. I mean, we've done so much, and you're right, uh, having that balance and ensuring that we're taking care of ourselves is incredibly important. Thanks. Hey, um, during your change of responsibility, that ceremony, you made a comment while uh, pointing to your new chevrons. You said, this is your future. We all know that very few get the privilege to serve at the highest enlisted levels. And I know, I know, Chief, that you're a critical thinker, and there's a deeper meaning rooted in that quote. If I'm correct, can you share what more you meant from that statement? Well, um, I, was at, I was looking at um, the, the, the two young um, people that helped pin the uh, Chevron on me, uh, the private and the, uh, the Airman First Class. And when I say the future, you know, there's so many things, just like we were talking about uh, the Chief's priorities or, you know, the things that are, are concerned to him. You know, with me, I think about how we're going to develop, you know, our junior airmen and soldiers to get them to where we are, where I am, where you are as well. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that sometimes we forget that, um, you know, obviously if you're a two-striper, you're not going to be uh, a command chief master sergeant in your next promotion. But we've got to think about how we're going to get there and how things have evolved over the years. And one of the things that really strikes me when I, I say this is your future is they are going to get here in a different way than we did. You know, when we think about some of the challenges that we're facing now, one of the things that we can do as leaders better is understand the emotional intelligence balance that we have within us. And that means that we've got a lot of amazing people that are coming in our services and our organizations now that have got some unique life experiences, that have got some great technical expertise that sometimes we need to take advantage of. Because really, when you think about it, Dan, um, in order for us to effectively lead them, we have got to include them in the thought process of how we're going to lead them. Some of the things that we develop as far as leadership tools have to include their experiences because we can't lead them with our experiences. We have to lead them with their own. Now, we can use our expertise, but we need their experiences to understand how we can get them to where we are. So, and when I say, you know, this is their future, they are going to create what these new Chevrons mean for us in our National Guard in the future. Yeah, that's perfect. Nailed it. I'll tell you, um, our, our tag here uses a quote, every soldier, every airman, a leader. And, uh, and his intent is to ensure that everybody at every rank and in every position, respectfully, has um, a responsibility. And, and they are expected to operate and lead um, based on what is appropriate for their rank and their time and their experience. So um, I think that that, uh, that nests nicely into what you just explained there for us. Um, you also stated, put me to work. And I he I've heard you say that several times now. 
So that I'm going to ask another tough question or a tougher question for sure from our air component. Um, and this has been an ongoing uh, question and our concern from our airmen uh, is the EPR system here in the Air National Guard specifically. The EPR has been considered for modification for a couple of years. Um, is there any status you can provide on that initiative? And, and on uh, going in on with that, uh, a second part of that question is, how do you see the value of the ACA as it supplements the future EPR? Oh, wow. So, listen, Chief, you know, we only have an hour, but uh, I'll try to <laughs> I'll try to scale down my answer on that one. Uh, I, first, I, I don't have an update uh, on the um, any modifications to the EPR, and I'm sure as they do come about, our new Air National Guard Command Chief, uh, Chief Master Sergeant uh, Williams, will definitely get that information out as soon as possible. Um, but I will tell you, I believe the EPR itself, before we get into the ACA, is an extremely effective tool uh, for both sides of that coin. Uh, from the side of the person that's writing the EPR, um, the first word in there is writing. You know, one of the things that we have to make sure that we can continue to do as leaders and as we evolve as leaders is we have to have the ability to write. You know, uh, clearly conveying our thoughts for our subordinates is extremely important. You know, in order for a task to be performed properly, there has to be some clear, concise um, instructions given. And the best way to know that you can do that is if you can take the instructions that you have given and turn those instructions into an evaluation. And our folks need to know without filter through the ACA process, but once you get to the evaluation process, you know, what they did right, what they didn't do so well, and if there's an opportunity for improvement, how do they improve? And, and I think the EPR does that. It's also a historical perspective for an individual to see how their writing has gotten better, how their leadership has gotten better, and how they themselves has evolved as a leader too, because, you know, when you think about it, you know, we don't write evals on the same people for our entire career. At some point, we promote, we progress, we, are, we elevate, we're evolved, and at some point, you know, your command chief master sergeant writing EPRs on other chief master sergeants. You didn't do that as a staff sergeant. So, you know, there's growth in that as well. And then for the person that's being evaluated, they need the truth. We grow from the truth. We don't grow from the things that we don't hear. You know, so when you tell me the truth about how I'm doing, I mean, even if it's not something that I want to hear, meaning it's not always going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns, you're telling me what I need to do to grow. But also there's an expectation that when you're telling me what I need to do to grow, there's got to be some instructions in there, a pathway as to how to grow as well. So please don't ever forget that when it comes to the EPR. It is a, is a very big instructional tool, but it's a growth tool for both sides. And then the ACA, I can't tell you how important, how much I value it because, you know, I still do it and I have an expectation that when I come, even as a uh, senior enlisted advisor to talk to my four-star, when we start, I need to know what he expects from me. And once I get that, then I can move out. But every now and again, if my supervisor doesn't come back to me, I go back to them and say, hey, these are the instructions you gave me about what your expectations were. This is where I am. Let me know how I'm doing. Or if you're one of those supervisors that are engaged, you're going to call that person in and say, hey, three months ago, this is what I expected of you. This is where you are. You're doing great. Or these are some of the things that you need some help in, or you're not doing me so well. This is what we need to do to get you to that successful point. Long answer, but uh, it could be longer, but uh, I am a huge fan of the EPR and the ACA. And when people say they don't have time to do it, it's just like anything else. We are forcing ourselves to have to do things, you know, in 
in large numbers when we don't take the time to do them when we need to do them. Uh, thanks, Chief, for that perspective. I, I'll tell you, I think that we have become, as an Air National Guard, uh, better at that. And uh, I think we're starting to see and understand the value of the EPR. And that's just my opinion, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm with you on this. Uh, so a question from our land component. The force structure rebalance is still in the beginning stages of development, but it could have a dramatic impact on units within the state of Oregon and other states and territories of the Army National Guard. How might states um, expect or gain more recruiting support? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and <laughs> I would say I don't know how to answer it, but I kind of do. Okay. So I'll tell you, the chief is, um, is extremely uh, adamant about supporting our recruiting efforts across the board for both the Army and the Air National Guard. But uh, in the Army National Guard in particular, you know, the different efforts that he's putting in now, um, and some that I think are, are going to start pretty soon if they haven't already started, with um, basing our recruiting initiatives or say, our recruiting productivity on a per person, I think we're going to see some huge dividends paid to that. Um, and then there's got to be some focus on those uh, different MOSs where we, we're, having, we're struggling and we got to put some emphasis on them. But we got to know, too, from uh, the leaders at all levels, you know, what exactly they're looking for and how best to go after it. And sometimes one of the best things that we can do to help us to get to that point is, you know, part of our recruiting effort has to include some of the folks in an MOS being a part of the recruiting initiative to say, hey, we need to bring you with us so that we can talk to some of those people. So when they ask some of those questions that we need to be able to answer, we got a subject matter expert with us. Don't know if that gets you, gets me to the answer that you want, but um, that's where I am right now with the answer as far as I know. Yeah, that's good, Chief. So uh, let's, let's uh, change gears, a little pivot real quick, um, to some enlisted development. And this is joint, senior enlisted joint development specifically. I've heard the SEAC talk about joint enlisted development. And uh, I'd say our, cor our current joint enlisted PME arguably isn't as good as it could or should be. Uh, what's your perspective on joint development as it applies to the National Guard? Has there been any discussion focused on evolving or improving our joint senior enlisted PME? So there's always been discussion about this one, Chief, uh, with regard to, uh, you know, making, not making, but finding opportunities for our, um, our enlisted PME to evolve, especially joint PME. I will tell you, um, the Army and the Air National Guard, we have a great opportunity to do that within the ranks at every respective state, and sometimes we miss the mark. Um, I mean, there are some states that do great at it. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was part of Michigan, they were very intentional about uh, professional development uh, happening at the junior enlisted ranks, actually all levels, and, um, and they made sure that they invited as many Army as they did Air so that they could be in the same room and they can talk their respective languages and then start to understand the languages that they're talking so that at some point as they grow together as an organization, especially during um, our SPPs and things like that, now you've got people that have a better understanding of each other. That also leads to opportunities outside of the state. So when we're looking for opportunities for our people to grow, now we've got airmen who haven't been in this uh, cyclone of just talking Air Force the, you know, their entire career and we got a senior SEAL that doesn't know how to talk Army, but they've been doing it as they come up. And so, you know, when we start looking at our staff sergeants on both sides, or our tech sergeants and the staff sergeants on the Army side, you know, we've got folks now that we can look for better opportunities with them because now they've, uh, they, they understand what it means to talk a different services language. Again, that's kind of like in the National Guard wheelhouse. 
um, in, in order for us to develop more, um, we've got to, got to get the hunger for it. Um, one of the things that I learned through conversations and my experiences too is that I'm sure you've heard of uh, the in-lead course. And what I found is that we're not marrying up the in-lead course with our state partnership programs. And I don't know if that's for the Army side as well, but I think we're missing opportunities for marrying up the in-lead course with state partnership programs because we're talking about international leadership you know, for our NGOs to develop, but we're not putting them in the course where they can learn more about how to function outside of you know, the distance learning courses that we have for SCJPME 1 and 2. And I, I think that's one of the avenues that, uh, one, I want to pursue, and then, you know, I'm definitely looking for feedback from the masses about how best that we can do things in a different manner to, um, you know, to reinforce and do better as far as our enlisted joint PME. Yeah, that's great to hear because I'll tell you, I think not many will argue the fact that joint uh, PME or joint education is incredibly important and valuable. Um, I just think that uh, some of our current tests or current uh, CBTs, for example, are just uh, they're incredibly comprehensive. Don't get me wrong, but uh, there's so much information in that, and it's just it's a difficult way to retain the information uh, with a you know 40 or 45 hour CBT. It's just and I, I tell you, Chief, I, I um and I did I, I did my uh, my feedback, which uh, amazed me because that was like another module itself, but um, I. I, I took the time to do the feedback on that because I agree with you 100%. You know, there's a lot of great information in there. But to go through all those modules and then to have one test at the end to where, you know, you're going to be able to re recall all that information. I, I don't know uh, who decided that that was the best course of action uh, to make sure that we were, you know, we're getting good information to use, you know, outside of the, the computer itself because that's a lot. And, and I'm sure, um, I don't know if you did it, but I'm sure it was with me that um, – I couldn't retain all of that, but I would have loved to have been able to go back to it at some other time, which is what I also put in my critique was that that's a lot of good information that you told me to get a, take a test on, but I can't go back to it and refer to it, you know, right. as I even deal with, you know, my state partnership program, which would have been some great information to go back to, you know, to recount some good information that I could probably use dealing with, um, you know, our allied countries. Yeah, great point. I mean, it's not like a textbook we can have on our bookshelf and reach back to it one day and look at it. It just doesn't have that, the, the capability doesn't exist there. No, but yeah. and I tell you what, that, that is a good question, and, and, I, and I hope that um, as a result of it, you get some good feedback or some good suggestions about how we could, uh, how we could best get after doing it uh, either better and, and, and differently. Yeah, thanks. I hope so, too. So, uh, as you know, there's also a beta test currently being conducted uh, in select states providing federal tuition assistance to Air National Guard members. Uh, can you provide us any update from that test? Well, right now, um, there, I can give you some general information, but the specifics, uh, we don't see the, the numbers yet of the metrics. Um, in certain states, uh, obviously, where, um, where education is as valued or as promoted more than others, uh, you see great interest in it. And then, of course, uh, a couple others where it's not that bad. But, uh, you know, we're, our Air Guard and our Army Guard brother, and they're waiting for opportunities in, in a lot of our different states where uh, we haven't had it in the past uh, to use these dollars. Um, unfortunately, um, the thing that we have to do is we have to continue to promote it. You know, just like other benefits that we have, there are certain things that are uh, things that are important to us. You know, there's we have a way of, of working them to working them into as many conversations as possible. For those that aren't, it's like, eh, you know, we'll talk about it. You know when someone else brings it up 
So um, I, I encourage those that when the opportunity presents itself to use tuition assistance as it comes, by all means do. Um, and it's just like um, our seamless joint PME, which you know we just talked about. It's kind of rough, but if we want to see changes, we've got to get people involved and they've got to let us know how they feel about it based on experience and not just, you know, opinions. And, um, and I know you probably saw today where they announced that uh, the, the Air Force is uh, reducing the uh, tuition assistance uh, to $3,750. Yeah, I so did see that. it's a challenge, um, and obviously, you know, our DOD is looking for efficiencies. But one of the things we have to remember is that the things that we want, the benefits that we say that are important to us, we have to utilize them. All right, I'm going to switch to a, a very serious topic, um, and it's suicide, suicide prevention specifically. We've seen um, so improvements in Oregon as far as numbers are concerned, but you and I, and I think most of us will agree, any number greater than zero is, is bad. So uh, we know that it continues to be a problem for the National Guard soldiers and airmen. What do you think as an institution we should be doing differently or more of to help prevent suicides? I think everything that we're doing right now, we need to continue to do more of. Um, to add something in the mix, um, it just makes it difficult because just, um, just like a lot of other things, um, when you start adding things, I mean, if, if there's something great that can help us to do a better by all means, yes, but um, we have to be careful uh, not to add so much more to that we don't start to put emphasis on those things that are working. Um, I will tell you, um, the COVID environment as some people thought would be a challenge when it came to suicides. To me, I believe what it did was it challenged us as leaders, whether we're formal leaders or informal leaders, to become more attuned to what's going on in the lives of our uh, subordinates. What I mean by that is, you know, there was this, this challenge to, for us older guys and gals to start learning things like Teams and Zoom and other forms of social media to stay contacted with our subordinates, stay in contact with them. What that also did was it also made us keenly aware that we were not intentional as we have been in the past, or we should have been in the past, about reaching out to our subordinates to make sure they're okay. Because we had these social media uh, platforms available, but we didn't use them because we didn't want to. Yeah. And we didn't want to, but that didn't mean we picked up the phone or drove over to their homes. We just didn't do it. But now we are. And then... To me, one of the things that has evolved from this, uh, and, and we'll get, get more to the question of suicide, is we've got other opportunities from our informal leaders that are letting us know that we need to continue to reach out to our folks using these other social media platforms and other means when possible, just to find out how they're doing. Not when things are bad, but when things are going great. Because sometimes when things are bad, it's always really bad when they tell us. So the constant communication is extremely important. It doesn't always have to come from the command chief, master sergeant, or the first sergeant. It can come from that first-line supervisor or a teammate that sometimes, and you know as well as I do, they're going to talk to their battle buddy or their wingman more so than they'll talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. And when we do talk to them, we have to mingle in our conversations. Just like I said a moment ago, things are important to us. We have to, we have to kind of find a way to just integrating our conversation, things about getting help, you know, help for problems with relationships, uh, mental health issues, uh, finances, whatever the case may be. And if we are constant and consistent about those things, 
I believe we'll probably see some challenges uh, that we used to have in the past. You know, they start to start to erode a little bit because uh, maybe not a good word erode, but I would say we, we probably see our folks start to reach out to us a little more or even respond to us with some more intimate details about what's happening in their lives if we're more consistent about reaching out to them. Yeah, you know, I really like the point that you brought up um, when when it shared with us that things are bad. Things are usually really bad by then. And yeah. to be able to communicate and stay in touch with our subordinates, uh, our friends, our coworkers, um, even when things are good, uh, is, is very important. Yeah. Uh, all right. The last question I got is uh, from the air side, for the air component. Realignment of the federal technicians to the AGR program has been challenging as it pertains to the force management. What's the desired end goal percentages per status for realignment? So, you know, there, there was a target um, at when they first talked about it, and, um, and it, it's changed a little bit, and I don't have an exact percentage for you now, but I know that they wanted to get it to somewhere in the neighborhood of about 65%. Yeah. And, you know, as we talked about as, uh, as senior enlisted leaders the other day, you know, though that's great for us if uh, – if at Guard Base USA they were thinking about bringing our younger soldiers and ceremony or, or airmen in, at this point you're talking airside, yeah. and setting them up for a career so that they could utilize it and uh, get the most bang for your buck because, you know, we, when we bring in our senior NCOs and they don't have the TAFMs in, that does hurt force management. But that's a leadership decision at uh, the respective installations, so I'll leave that at that. Um, one of the things I think we're going to be challenged with, as we talked about as seamless leaders, is how we utilize our folks um, in natural disasters, in, uh, in call-ups, and things of that nature. Um, and, of course, long-term effects about that is the budget. But with the new um, retirement system, mm-hmm. Blended retirement there's somewhat system. of an offset. But there's going to be uh, there's just uh, there's so much more to come. I think um, when it was rolled out, it was just going to be we talked about making the changes, and we'll have that uh, that balance, or not so much a balance, but we'll have more of our our technician forces being AGRs, and we'll have them that will be available to work 24/7, you know, at Guard Base USA or wherever they are. Um, but then there are other parts of what our guards can do that aren't tied to a base. So I guess my answer to that is there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be more to come because. As it evolves, as we see, once we're done with the uh, with the realignment, and we start looking at our manning documents, and we start looking at the opportunity to utilize our forces, there'll be more challenges and more questions. Yeah. All, all I'll say, um, in, in addition to that, is you know, wherever you play a role, and whoever's listening, wherever you play a role in making a decision about who you're going to uh, change from, you know, from your technician force to your AGR force, you know, please uh, think long term about it because uh, in the short term. It could be great for an individual, but um, even in your question, Chief, uh, which I think is great, um, you know, force management is, is huge uh, when you're talking about how you're going to, um, you know, make that change. And it also uh, rolls into a little bit of force development, too, because um, we've got to get a return on the investment. We've got to make sure that, uh, that our organization is set up for success, you know, once that decision is made. 
Yeah, I think it's really truly a primary focus for many of our senior enlisted folks is the uh, force management piece. It's mm-hmm. something we need to stay close to and understand so that we can advise our commanders because it's uh, it, it truly is one of the more important pieces and parts of our ability to influence so uh, and, and make things right. Uh, so I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you. Hey, with that, Chief, I know you've, you're a busy man. We've got things to do. Um, I'm going to close the book on this and uh, and. And thank you again for spending the time with us. Uh, It's important that we all get to know who our leaders are uh, near the top. And I can tell you, as I was talking to some others, it wasn't always clear, you know, who's who's there. And and I think as we're in junior ranks, sometimes we just we don't we're uncertain who's at the top and who are the people that are influencing change and influence influencing strategic decisions. But uh, I think this was a great privilege for all of us here in Oregon to get a chance to meet you and understand where you're coming from and. Uh, some information from your office is uh, incredibly important, and I truly, truly appreciate the time you spent with us today. So uh, thanks again, Chief. No kidding. Hey, and uh, thank you, Chief. And I want to tell you, um, you know, obviously, you know, you got to do it. I throw a little love back your way, my friend. Um, you know, thank you for the leadership you have there in the great state of Oregon. You know, you, you can always say, hey, it's all, you know, it's all about my soldiers and my airmen. And, yeah, it's true. It really is. The soldiers, the airmen, and their families, and, and your civilians and your veterans. But it takes good, uh, good, great leadership. It takes uh, the person with the right spirit, um, a humbling spirit of service. But they have that uh, that passion in their heart to to lead from the front, so that they can be the example uh, that makes the men and women that are that are serving want to continue to serve. So I appreciate you for that. And um, and like I said, and you recalled me uh, from my um, my ceremony. Yeah, put me to work because you know I'm going to be here for four years, and um, I don't want to be a figurehead. I want to make sure that uh, there's some product, uh, some productivity out of my time here and our time together. Yeah. Thanks again, Chief. No kidding. Appreciate your time. Look forward to another call another day. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some uh, opportunities to spend some time together, and uh, I can tell you it's uh, it's a true privilege. Thank you. All right, Chief. Hey, you have a great day, and again, thanks for this opportunity. In closing, I'd like to thank the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office and Sergeant First Class Holden for producing this podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode, where I interview some of our soldiers that recently returned from deployment, and we discuss the hurdles of reintegrating with family and friends in the COVID environment. Never forget, every soldier, every airman, a leader. This is Chief Connor signing off. <laughs>